This is the Coming Black to Africa podcast, a show focused on helping you, the African diaspora, with your return home journey, whether you have roots here or not. Each week, I'll host someone who will share their experiences and tell their stories to help you prepare and navigate the integration ups and downs. My name is Robert Agufanabel, an Afro-Caribbean traveler, passionate about promoting and representing Africa. I am a champion of creativity, and I'll be the captain of this flight. Now, let the journey begin. Greetings, fellow travelers. This is your captain speaking. Welcome to this episode of Coming Black to Africa. On this flight, I am joined by a very wonderful co-pilot, um, Tiffany Anderson, and she's going to be helping me take us over the savannas of Africa and help us to come black to Africa. She's going to tell us why she advocates so strongly for people to raise their hands and say, hey, I'm going back to Africa. So welcome to the show, Tiffany. And I want you to take it away and tell us what brings you here to come in black to Africa and what do you have to share with us today? Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, what brings me black to Africa, I guess it was the impromptu meeting of you and I in Nairobi. But I just can briefly say who I am, discuss who I am, and then I'll say what I do. So I, I was originally born in Queens um, of Jamaican descent, and I am an attorney by trade and practice, an attorney and a professor. I started when I was a lot younger, graduated law school at a younger age. My first experience on the continent was studying law in South Africa. Mm. And that basically opened my eyes to the opportunities that the continent provided at that time. That was in summer of 06. So pre-Instagram, pre Facebook, uh, you know, Africa being super trendy, you know, it just was people who were just going there, were going there off the strength of their own or someone who recommended them. So, um, yeah, I I went to FAMU underground. I attended an HBCU. Um, I'm currently in Lamu, Kenya, but I would consider home Kingston, Jamaica. I also spend time in South Florida with my family whenever I'm traveling to and from the continent. And yeah, that's why I'm here today to do, talk about a way to Africa, traveling throughout Africa, a little bit of my story of, you know, why the company was started and where we're at today. Well, fantastic. We are so happy and excited to have you, Tiffany. One thing I love about this show is that we get people from all, if you want to call it, walks of life. Um, you are an attorney. You know, you are what we would call the learned fellows of society. <laughs> you have everything down pack. I want to just circle back to what you talked about, your first experience of the motherland studying law in South Africa. Uh, I want to dive into that just a bit. Was it a choice, uh, an intentional choice you made to study law in South Africa? Why South Africa? And question number two, was that your first, um, what was your first experience like, you know, because you said you saw the opportunities in Africa. So we just want to get a better understanding. How did you get to South Africa coming from Queens, uh, Jamaican descent, uh, South Africa? That's a bit far off. Yeah, well, I attended St. John's in Queens. And um, my ex at the time, he was of Ghanaian descent. And there was a study abroad program offered through Howard Law. 
and he um, was offered the opportunity to go and I applied as well. And so that's how I ended up in South Africa. It was my first time on the continent. Actually, it was my first time um, getting a passport because going to the Caribbean at that time, you only needed your birth certificate. You didn't need a passport to go into like Puerto Rico or the Caribbean. So uh, it was the first time I received my passport and getting a South African visa. And I chose South Africa because of the recommendation, but it was through Howard Law School as well. I, I attended um, a private law school, you know, St. John's is a Catholic school, but uh, with, let me turn off. But uh, with Howard Law, that's an HBCU again. So they had a great program where they partnered with the University of Western Cape Law School. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Professor Matola from Howard Law who organized everything. And it just honestly was one of the best experiences in my life I would recommend for any student, virtual or in-person student. Use, utilize education and use education as a platform to travel. Because I think when you when people are on their walks, their paths of life, they're walking their path of life. And when you're really trying to determine like your God-given purpose or what you're put on this earth for, I think there's going to be an opportunity where you have a decision to make and it can change the rest of your life or in a sense of not necessarily not changing your life, but you would have never known that opportunity if you choose not to you know, take that risk. You know, I have people saying like, oh, you're not going to go. You're not going to get accepted. It's not going to go through. And it was hands down one of the, you know, my life changing experience where when I went to South Africa, I mean, South Africa is Africa 101. Anytime anyone going into the continent, it's their first time. They're unsure where they should go. They, you know, at this time, of course, I had preconceived notions because I've never traveled to the continent. And this is before there was marketing yeah. about traveling to the continent. So, you know, I just went and I lived, we were spoiled. I mean, we had a, a really nice setup. We were in VNA Waterfront. Anybody know like VNA Waterfront in Cape Town? It's one of the, you know, prime real estate areas. And we as students, as young law students, like 23, 24, you know, um, living in South Africa and amazing penthouses and condos, it was insane. Our experience was insane. But South Africa in 2006 is yet, you know, still a few years young of apartheid ending. So, yes, we live and an amazing uh, accommodation, but the realness of what Africa was, or South Africa was still going through, it was in your face, it was blatant. And you saw the similarities of hatred of, of black people and, you know, um, coming from white people. And when I say hatred, I mean in a sense of racism. And then also the, the hatred within each other. Like I was so surprised to go to South Africa and then someone was saying, oh, yeah, you can um, come with us in a colored, like to the colored section, like you will be able to. And I'm like, yeah, what? it's it's Yeah, so the derogatory words. So I'm like, colored. And I'm like, no, man, you're African. Like, it's such a blessing. You could really say, you know, you're African. You were born here. And they're like, no, man, we're not African. We're colored. <laughs> eh, eh, eh. I was so, I was in for a rude awakening. You know, that was remnants of apartheid in reality. 
So yeah, I just um, I fell in love with the I fell in love with Africa. I fell in love with South Africa. I fell in love with the opportunity, and and knowing that there was life outside of what I was raised to think about the states and the and you know going to the Caribbean is like a real you know <laughs> you know uh, you know a vacation like yeah. it's it's a whole new world on its side. So um, that's where it started. I guess you can say that's where it started. That's why I, I, I traveled to South Africa to study law. That is, I love listening to that experience. You know, at such a young age, you were willing to take the risk. You wanted to explore the world. And you've said so much in, in your response to that question. I want to dig into a few few of the answers that you gave and few of the responses. I mean, talking about experiencing, you know, just post-apartheid sort of environment. Um, and if you've never been to South Africa, it's it's very up in your face, you know, as, as Tiffany said. So Tiffany, you what were your preconceived notions of Africa before? Because you did mention a bit of it and I wanted to dig into that because that's where quite a number of our listeners are. They're like, okay, well, Africa, well, yeah, one day I, I want to travel there, but they really don't know much about the place. And and you travel at a time where information was not really widely available, you know, no Instagram, no Facebook, you know, you, YouTube hadn't started yet. Things started in 2009. So what were your preconceived notions, you know, and where did you get these ideas from about Africa? So just to back up a little bit because we love to have saying South Africa is really in your face. South Africa is still one of the most beautiful countries that I've ever visited personally. Absolutely. Outside of like Cape Town, it's absolutely gorgeous, but then you have dragons. Um, you have Mpumalanga. South Africa is vast and so gorgeous. But unfortunately, apartheid, you know, they gained their independence with, within less than, I think it was 26 years ago. So you have to understand how fresh it is. And it's not just in South Africa where you feel remnants of colonization. You feel it throughout other countries as well. So I just wanted to go back and say, like, I love South Africa. I spent a lot of time in Josie and in Cape Town as well, even now. So um, preconceived notions, like what I knew of Africa were from two sources. One, the news. Um, when I say the news, I mean infomercials of, oh, send money, you know, the, the white savior with the black baby <laughs> on their hip. Send yeah. money so we can help the boy and, you know, flies and, and snot. And it just was such a weird concept. But that was the only thing that really was being like portrayed about Africa. But I was fortunate enough that in my household, my, my mom my my family, like my father's side of the family was super um, pro-African. So I knew of, you know, uh, learning of, I knew of Nelson Mandela. I knew of, I would say I did more research and, and find out, found out later about Nkrumah, but my mom was always, you know, teaching us about these leaders, you know, making us do reports on like Marcus Garvey and things like wow. that. So in my household, I received, I received 
um, different knowledge as well, you know, a different source of information and knowledge. So mm -hmm. I remember right before I was going to South Africa and I was starting researching, I found more about apartheid. And I went, and here I am, this 20-something-year-old, and I'm like, call my mom, like, Mom, why didn't you tell me more about apartheid? <laughs> you know, we were almost living, you know, we were like living through it also. And then I had to look at myself, like I'm 20-something years old, on the web researching it, that information is made readily available for myself. I'm in law school at this time. I got into law school. I can, you know, research more and 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 find the discrepancies in what has been told to us our entire life. But the interesting interest so that's why I had preconceived notions be because I knew Africa was a great continent from learning within the household, but there were so many things countering it from mainstream, even in the sense of the globe, um, the map. Africa appears smaller than the states. Yeah. So imagine growing up thinking that way. So there was, the if you didn't have a source or foundation at home counteracting um, the information that you're receiving through school. And then remember what in Black history taught in the States, mm -hmm. it was like one and a half pages, two pages at most. And then the, um, it only went back to slavery. There weren't talks of like Mansum, uh Musa or, or great kings of, of, and queens like Nefertiti. And, um, you know, it's just, you had to do your own research yeah, in order to get that. And if you're going to school, that's the only source of information in these books, you know? I think you being um, a lawyer helps with that because you simply just don't accept what you're being told. Um, so besides your household, you wanted to still inquire. So despite your mom asking you to write those reports and ETC, you still wanted to do your own research. And I think that's something so critical. I really just wanted to uh, interject there that we still have to do our own research. So it doesn't matter what someone else's experience has been. You still need to check for yourself. You still, you still wanted to find out for yourself and even take the leap and actually go and study in South Africa. And you now have formed your own opinion based on what you've seen. And that's, that's a big breakthrough. As you said, that was one of the turning points of your lives. You know, I wanted to just highlight that. Yeah. But the interesting thing is when I started traveling throughout Africa, I realized that Africans born on the continent had this same misconception about like Africans born abroad or diasporans. Mm -hmm. They, when you ask, you know, considering even yourself, like what was your perception of black people who were born in America? You know, it was like lost, um, ghetto, <laughs> loud, not really <laughs> smart, you know, and then love and hip hop and these shows, these ghetto shows mm -hmm. started dominating the airwaves where I would travel to Ghana and people were like, hey, you were born in, in New York. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're not Queens. loud and ghetto, ghetto, you know. So it's, it worked both ways. The mental separation, the mental division and it still is a trickle-down effect, and it's not even trickle-down because it's so full-blown. It's the opposite of trickle-down. But the remnants of colonization is still still there in a reciprocated mindset of how we look at, at each other, how we perceive each other, how we welcome and accept each other, not just across the ocean, 
But then once you start looking at within countries in Africa, or you start looking at colorism in the states of different complexions, we see different acknowledgement and different um, privileges, you know, so it, it still runs deep. But I think Africa is, is the root and the source of life. And I'm not going to say all knowledge, but spending so much time on the continent can really change your life also if you know what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you've, you've started to mention something that I wanted to get into. I, I can see how Away to Africa was, was birthed and started brewing inside of you. I can see it from even when you first, uh, your first comments on the show. And we're going to get into that. But before we get there, I wanted to get into that area of how was it now for you as a Black American, Black Caribbean American, if I can say that, you know, you're in South Africa, you started traveling to other countries in Africa, what was the reception like? Because on this show, we'd like to talk about the glows of coming back to Africa. It really helps to you know, awaken you. A lot of people become entrepreneurs when they come back to Africa. But there are some blows of coming back to Africa as, as, you know, as a non-African born or living on the continent um, person. So what, what was your experience there in terms of reception um, as a Black uh, Caribbean well, American? The, at the, so right now, I don't I don't call myself American. I just say I'm an African that was born in America. I don't I don't use the term African American awesome. or Caribbean awesome. African, but I'll say just an African who was yeah, born in, in America. Yeah. When I traveled to South Africa, I didn't know I was Jamaican. I just like found out through researching my family, uh, you know, ancestors and trees on both sides of my family. My grandparents are Jamaican. So when I traveled to South Africa, I didn't have that confidence to say, oh, no, I'm just because not for nothing. I, I say it now, like, yeah, they hear my accent. Oh, you're American. Yes, but I'm Jamaican. Or, and also I live in Jamaica because it's a different respect that's given to you. And do I have the true right to say I'm Jamaican? Because Jamaicans will say I'm not Jamaican because I wasn't born in Jamaica. But I also <laughs> say, who are you to tell me? who I am and what I'm not. If I want to say I'm African, I'll say I'm African. You can't take that away from me. You can't go to a Chinese person born in America, America and tell them they're, they're not Chinese. They're not Chinese, yeah. So I, yeah, so that's how I feel now. But going into um, South Africa at that time, obviously I'm looked at as an American girl. And I remember, I'm going to give you one example. It was this one girl who was in the classroom Mm. Who, first of all, overall, it was a loving experience. Some of the friends that I made in that class, I'm still in touch with now, and we're like family. And I'm a friend of the family now. Like I know their families and everything like that. So it was a great experience, a great bonding experience because we studied with South African law students as well. So this goes to, this is breaking another barrier of a perception of where a lot of people think that they travel to Africa and they're going to change Africa or you're going to enlighten Africa. You're going to come with your great Ooh. ideas and it's like, sit down for a second. Ooh. Everything I had, is I had okay. To stop you there. I had to stop you on that one and just amplify that because you come with this perception, sometimes consciously and sometimes even unconsciously because you 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 can land in Africa and you see things aren't working like all right okay well where I come from that works you know especially if you come from the states or something I really had to just amplify that so quite, quite a number of people come with that um <laughs> go ahead yeah so um and studying with South African students who you know if not 
equally, but more intelligent because we're studying their laws. So they have a background understanding, you know, and they're required to go to law school. I think like three extra, two or three extra years that we are required to go to law school. So they really, you know, and they know their law, you know, um, when studying. So I say all of that to say it was a, a young girl was in class and throughout the class, throughout the entire, you know, almost two months we were studying abroad, she didn't really speak to those um, foreign you know, students, only South African students. And she was like one of the cool South African girls. So towards the end, I asked her, I'm like, how come you never, you know, we we're making an effort to like speak to you sometimes, but how come you have that energy that you don't want to speak with us or engage with us? And she was like, because you guys love Africa and never look back. You know, you think you're better than us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, sis, you think that we raised our hands to be sold by our, our brothers and sisters right. to, you know, <laughs> go on this long-term route that, you know, plenty of us never even made it to that side mm-hmm. to not only be sold and separated from your family and lose your culture, but lose your identity. Black people in the States are one of the, if not only, you know, um, groups who don't, who are not connected to their ancestry. They don't know where they're from. And that's, that's, I don't, I don't think people really understand how deep that runs not to know your root. That's your your root chakra is the beginning and ending of everything. Yeah. An Indian, no matter where they are in this world is an Indian, a Chinese, as you said earlier, Mm -hmm. no matter where they, they, they know they're Chinese, they're still connected to their roots. I mean, black people, as you said, is one of the people groups that just lost this connection to their ancestry. So it's, it's, it's deep. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the reason why when you see people on their journey of Black to Africa is deeper than just traveling to Africa for mm-hmm. some people. Some people are really looking for a place to, to feel welcomed. I can't, how many, this is what I don't understand even about my family and friends. I like, how do you still feel welcomed in the States? You know, how <laughs> how is it so, look what just recently happened with Texas and mm-hmm. Texas is one of the richest states. We just had this conversation on our podcast, Texas, if you took the state of Texas and placed it in Nigeria, I think the wealth of Texas can compete with Nigeria. Wow. You know, how can you have the power go off? And then the mayor is saying, fend for yourselves for water and for heat. Yeah. What kind of fourth world treatment <laughs> 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 is that? That's not even third world. That's fourth world because you have the, you know, this is one of this is an oil state. So anyway, I say all of that to say, man, just Africa, despite the preconceived notions and despite how some people welcomed us or, you know, failed to welcome us. It, it's a personal journey as well. So for me, it was a personal connection. One thing I promised myself on that trip was that I'm not going to date anyone. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to enter into a relationship because, you know, I know I'm going to meet cuties, but I'm like, <laughs> do not, do not call and do not get into a relationship because you'll lose focus of what you're here for. Wow. So it's funny they used to call me a limited it was a show out back in the days where 
one person would go with like out on five dates and then you eliminate all the dates until you get to one. Because I went on mad dates, but I didn't take anybody Amen. serious. It was all for fun. No kisses, nothing. I just went out there and I personally connected to the, the continent. I personally had an amazing time. So yeah, that was the seed that was planted for a way to Africa. I sat on that seed for 10 years before I launched the company because I naturally went into practicing law. You know, um, yeah, wow. that is... We, we, I could talk to you for another five hours. You have such rich experience. <laughs> um, what you just said seems to relate and resonate with something I tell a lot of my coaching clients or whatever I do is, listen, I never allow anything or anyone to distract me from my destiny not even myself and it seems like that's what Mm -hmm. you did you didn't even want yourself you know your desire to you know see the cutie and get in a relationship you didn't even want yourself to distract (laughs) you from your destiny and that's to show how critical and priority it was for you to come back to africa it's not just about as you said physically coming here you wanted to get that deeper connection and now tell us about the, the flowers and the, the blossoming that came out of, you know, that focus and that destiny. You just alluded to the fact that you didn't, you waited 10 years to start your company. Where, had you ever started a company before? Were you an entrepreneur before? Or is this your first dip, you know, in the entrepreneurial space? What, you know, we, the listeners want to just know, all right, when you did make that connection, who is this new Tiffany? How would you describe yourself now after that, you know, deep connection back to your roots? Oh, wow. So interesting. That's an interesting question because one area, like other than law, it was law, um, real estate, law, and entertainment law. I split my time, but I really uh, merged into or invested my time into real estate law. But I also did business development. So what I would do is, or the areas or field I would work in is, if there was a CEO who had a business idea and the and the resources, resources, whether it's some relationships, but most importantly, financial resources, then I can take that business idea and turn it into like a multi-million dollar business. So I, when I, when I graduated from law school, I worked in a law firm, like a small percentage of the time. I used my law degree as leverage to get into doors that wouldn't look at me, you know, if I didn't have my law degree. I worked at a real estate firm. I worked with a brother on a brokerage and first because I had my real estate license as well. Uh, and this is back in the um, States? It was a Yeah, in the States. Okay. So um, it's, a, it's a Brazilian company where I was the only non-Brazilian, only Black person, only non-speaking Portuguese. I actually had to take classes eventually for that job and I also was the highest paid you know although I didn't have those three main qualifications it was a Brazilian real estate firm (laughs) they spoke (laughs) Portuguese all throughout the day and the the guy he's so cool I'm so cool with him his name is Cristiano Piquet he only hired models so it was only tall Thin, like blondes, brunettes walking into the office as real estate agents. It was insane. And here I am, like this short, thick black girl, <laughs> you know, but well, still holding African glory with you. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I, I, I utilized my law degree as leverage to get into doors and I, I learned different things. You know, I traveled throughout, you know, with those jobs. I went into the, the legal side and started working with the, his brother who owned the law firm, you know. And um, so your initial question of entrepreneurs, you know, just helping to build up their brands, taking their ideas and then just like running off with it, doing everything from A to Z, the marketing, the accounting, the legal work, the office management, just like everything. So the thing is, I I was afraid to start Away to Africa because I knew I would have to go kill my feed. I would have to go and kill it to bring it home. For entrepreneurs, <laughs> you know, you know, you don't eat unless you go and and hunt, you know, when you're working with companies, you can go, you can show up to work and, you know, every two weeks or every month you're getting that paycheck. Mm -hmm. When you're your own business owner, your own, your own boss, you are responsible for finding that kill and then bringing it back, not only for you, but those who work with you as well, those who help the business afloat. And it is a lot on your shoulders. So I, I think that was another reason why I was a bit like hesitant to start away to Africa. I knew I would have to go do my own. So, um, yeah, that is, so running a business is something that's natural to me. Um, working, I love working on business projects. I love taking an idea with someone who has the resources and just like planning it out to the infinite degree. You know, I've hosted um, shows like reggae shows, produced reggae shows. So from the beginning to end, finding venues, securing the artists, uh, bringing in the audience, you know, I, I love, I actually love business development. So yeah, you, that's, that's how I feel. sound like really, it's just, I don't want to say it's natural to you, but it sounds like that's, that's your area. You know, that's, that's where you blossom. Um, but as you identified, you, you had that fear of going out to look for your own kill, you know, ETC. Um, but you, with getting back in touch with your roots and finding your identity sort of Give, gave you that confidence that, you know what, you you are a whole person, you know, you are complete, you can get things done. And one thing that I say here on the show with Coming Black to Africa is a critical part of Coming Black to Africa for me is helping people reclaim their stolen creativity. And I think it's, it's very difficult to be truly mm -hmm. creative without having a solid base of identity. And that's one of the things that as Black people who you know, lose touch with their roots, we, we miss that because as you said, we like the safety of the paycheck, you know, the assurance of having a job and having, you know, a means to put something on the table. And that's why I champion creativity. Coming Black to Africa for me helped me realize, listen, you know, we, we got to reclaim our stolen creativity. So not only did we just lose our identity for those of us who live outside of Africa, but we lost our creativity. We lost this sense of agency over our lives. You know, we we need to take that back. And I can see that coming out in your story. It's so wonderful that every guest who comes, that just seems to be resonating. And I'm so happy that that's something that I champion. I'm, I'm happy that that's a message that I put out there and I haven't been proven wrong yet. And I I, I don't intend to be proven wrong about that. So we're, we're happy to hear that. But I want to just ask one question. So what were two things that you did to overcome that fear? Because 
you, you liked working on the projects. You were quite good at that. Very similar to my story in corporate. I loved working on projects, ETC. And I don't know, I kept denying that voice in my head that you can do this also. I also had those fears. So I, I'm curious to know what are two things that you did to gain that courage to overcome that fear? I, so that was the moment where I moved to Jamaica. I honestly just reached a tipping point. By this time, um, I was working at another job that really was um, the hustling side of working in a legal field, where the more hours you put in, the more you can make. So I was literally doing like 14 days in the office and then commuting two hours each way. And I was like almost at a breaking point with the traveling to and from work. I, um, by this time I was dating someone in Jamaica. So I was back and forth to Kingston regularly anyway. Um, but I just, and when I went to Jamaica, I just noticed like a load of stress would leave my body once I landed on, like got off the plane. And then as soon as I ordered the plane to go back to the States, that level of stress would, you know, return. Wow. And so I just was like, F it. I'm just going to move to Jamaica for um, a little bit and, and launch away to Africa because I knew with launching away to Africa and Jamaica, I would receive more support because Jamaicans are more conscious of their connection to Africa. So I knew, and because I think it's a bit smaller, but um, also the circle I was running in as well, I would, it was within a reggae community, a creative space. So I knew I can go and network. And then it just so happened that one of our neighbors, this is what I did with one of my own old bosses as well. I usually meet older guys like 40 and above who love, love reggae music. And they always wanted to host a show. But because when they were younger, they didn't have the money at the time, they didn't do it. So now they have the money, but they don't have the time to do it because they're doing, running their business, a success, successful business. So this was a, the second person I met. And he, he invested a good amount of money. And I launched a show called, well, myself with a team, launched a show called Away to Africa Presents Midnight in Kingston. And we brought the reggae group Midnight into um, Kingston it was their first time performing in Kingston. We had like Roots and Fire, Jaina mm-hmm. and Jesse Royal, Kabaka came out, um, Dre Allen. Like, you know, we had a really good lineup and that was the launch of the company. But everything just so happened to work out. The fact that like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna move to Jamaica. And then within, I went there for like a month and within that month, then I secured the neighbor to say, okay, he's going to put up the money for the show. So, um, yeah, it was an amazing launch, you know, because we backed it with reggae. We went on to quite a few radio shows and TV shows. And it just was, yeah. And then, so that's one of the reasons was taking a risk to move to Jamaica and go to a location and envi- environment that I would be, knew would be more conducive and more supportive of the idea. And second, it was a young lady who I randomly met. Um, I went on Craigslist to find it. was some new hairstyle that came out. And so I went on Craigslist and I went to this lady's place to get my hair done. And this other girl was there. And we started having a 
a conversation about like, you know, the true flies of history, Africa, a lot of it was based on African shoes. Like, I want to go to Africa so bad. I swear to, and she was like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I have this idea for a company. And she was like, if you build a company, I promise I'll be your first client. I'll be your first nice. client. Her name is Nine in Office. She would text me every month. Hey, is your website up? Is <laughs> I'm going to get some people to go with me. And she was the first person who signed up for the tour. She was my second motivation. It's crazy because she was the first person who signed up. But when we launched Away to Africa in Jamaica, somebody signed up on a spot who wanted to leave like in two, three weeks to go to Ghana. So um, she ended up being the first client, the one from Jamaica. I'm still friends with her. And she ended up quitting her job of 11 years and started her own tour company in Jamaica, which is doing amazing. Yeah, her name is Tika. She has a company called Being Jamaican. So I'm just saying, once you start walking your path in life, things start aligning. If you start engaging, communication is so important because Mm -hmm. you can deliver messages um you can deliver light you can deliver so wealth through your words so um you god will god will align align those opportunities and the people there who are there to provide messages to you or you you to them or whatever it is and it will work out as long as you have i feel as if you're doing something that doesn't really harm people you know, you're doing it with love and it's something you really enjoy doing. You'll be amazed how the doors start opening up. But you have to do your work. You have to do your work. You have to hit the pavement. You have to hit a hundred or a thousand no's and then it will start clicking. You know, we're going into, um, I think it's our fifth year this year. This is an overnight success. Thank you. So, yeah. That is absolutely fantastic. I love that resiliency. Hit a thousand no's, you got to keep going. And, and that's something we talk about on the show. Um, and I also talk about it in other spheres and, and what I talked about in my book. It's about letting your light shine. You just have to bring it out. Don't be scared of bringing out that idea. You got to you know, take the step. My mentor always says that clarity comes when you start the journey. Too often we want the full picture before we make that step, before we make that leap. Even coming to Africa, coming black to Africa, we want everything to be perfectly aligned, you know, but there's some element of risk. There's some element of risk and acceptable risk. You need to, you know, have a point of no return and just launch out, start your business. This is great wisdom we're getting from our co-pilot Tiffany here in in launching a way to Africa. So we have been talking about a way to Africa quite a bit um, in, in the last few minutes. Perhaps just take a step back and tell us what exactly is it? I mean, it's it's coming out pretty obvious that it's about, you know, helping those who are not in Africa come to Africa. But I don't want to massacre and misrepresent your 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 entrepreneurial business idea. So can you just tell us what exactly is a way to Africa? Okay, a way to Africa is it's what will be categorized as a destination management company. We um I wouldn't say we're a travel company. Uh, we we would fall under a travel company, but we really work with logistics and organizing the experience from A to Z. So we can you can say we're a dream creator for those who are looking to travel throughout Africa because we work with and we partner with SMEs, which are small and middle-sized enterprises 
who they help us uh, run the tours on the ground in each country. That's how we're able to say we service 15 countries on the continent. Not because our team is running around doing everything, but because we form partnerships with people from each country who know and love their countries, you know, and who better to tell the story than someone from the community. So with that being said, um, yeah, we are about building a community for those who are looking to travel experience and also move to or invest in Africa, as well as building a family with Africans on the ground throughout Africa. It's not something that's temperamental where we're like, oh, okay, let's ride this wave of, you know, going to Africa. We focus only on Africa. We're not focusing on servicing any other place other than Jamaica. We are going to offer the reciprocated service of bringing those on the continent into Jamaica. Mm-hmm. But, um, you yeah, know, we focus on the continent alone and we understand the importance of saying we're our our dollar goals. So for those who are utilizing the way to Africa as a vehicle to travel into Africa or to invest or move into Africa, we're working with Africans on the ground. So there's no trickle effect where we're working with a larger company, you know, a larger European company who is servicing Africa and then they pay a percentage to those who do all the work. We're saying we go on the ground and and find the people and build those relationships. We work closely with tourism boards and tourism agencies so they can recommend who's the best, you know, uh, person or business to align ourselves with so we can then offer a unique experience for those who are traveling, not just a cookie cutter itinerary or a tour. So I think that is ultimately what a way to Africa um, is about, is cutting out the middleman and really feeling the true energy, you know, beauty, life, which has to do through, you have to go through the people of Africa. You can't have a, a tour. It's like, I meet travelers sometimes and they're like, oh yeah, we've been to three countries. I'm like, okay, you're enjoying Africa. And I'm like, yeah, we love it. You love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, where have you been? South Africa safari, Botswana safari, and maybe like Zim safari or Tanzania safari. Mm. So just moving away from the depiction that Africa is one big safari, one big jungle, and you have to go see a safari if you travel to Africa. It's more about connecting with the people, seeing amazing spaces, seeing the different wonders of the world, you know, eating the food, learning a bit of the language, just like engulfing yourself in what the country has to offer and the continent has to offer. The countries throughout the continent have to offer. So you leave Africa change as opposed to the mindset you're traveling to Africa to change Africa. Absolutely. And uh, that's what I love about A Way to Africa. Guys, if you check out, for, for example, their Facebook group, their Instagram page, one thing that A Way to Africa does is that cultural fusion. It's not about coming to Africa for a holiday, right? Um, a Way to Africa is not just about bringing you on a holiday to go on a safari. It's what we've been talking about through this entire show is connecting you back to roots, connecting you back to culture, understanding, you know, where your heritage is, you know, as a black person, mm-hmm. it's connecting with the local people. And one thing that we talk about on the show also is not just about coming black to Africa, but also those who are in Africa. How do you, you know, set up that welcoming party? How do we avoid or reduce this, this fight, that infighting of when, you know, 
quote unquote, a black American or a black Caribbean comes back to the continent, that it's different. You know, we want to make it as seamless as possible. We want to make it easy for people to come back so that we can connect. Um, and so those who are coming back, you need to also find out how people live in. How do the Maasai's live, understanding the different cultures, the different tribes and language. Language and food are two critical things of understanding cultures, you know, in Africa and in, in any people. And, and one thing that you said, Tiffany, is that I like very much about what Away to Africa does. Right? It's about the community, you know, and that's African. You know, Africans, we're, we're community-based people. So you've provided a space for a community of people to you know, make that trip back to Africa. It's not just about coming as an individual, it's connecting with those who are here, those who want to come. Well, Tiffany, I'm looking at our flight plan and I'm looking out of the window and I can see we are just on the horizon of the beautiful African continent. And I want to ask you to bring this flight home to make our final approach. And as custom in this show, as we make our final approach, I ask each of our special guests to give us three life hacks of coming back to Africa. What three life hacks would you give to someone Ooh. who is thinking of coming back to Africa that they should know as they prepare to, you know, embark on, on this journey? I would say, okay, my three are one, um, take traveling or what is traveling, moving, repatriating back to Africa, remove it from your bucket list. Um, traveling to Africa is attainable now. Um, there are flights that are traveling into even amidst COVID. You can easily find a flight that will get you to the four corners of the continent. So there are a lot of people who will bucket list Africa, but uh, travel to Dubai, you know, quickly or travel to Bali quickly. You know, um, second, I would say, say have a plan and take advantage of companies such as Away to Africa, where we serve as a liaison. If you are looking to travel to Africa and you don't know where to start, you don't know which country you should go to or travel to first, you don't know about accommodation, where's the best accommodation, um, if you're considering asking the question, are you going to be safe? If you want to have an insider's route, so you want to travel and experience Africa, but from a local perspective. So you're not just going to like an all-inclusive and just spending time with the people who you're traveling with without getting to know the people on the ground. So I would say definitely make a plan. And that goes for those who are looking to invest or move, repatriate. And, and I have this thing with repatriation. It is somewhat... Um, place in like a uh, enchanting or romantic manner. Like, oh, I'm going to repatriate and move to Africa. And then what are you going to do when you arrive, sir? You know, so you have to plan. You have to make plans. You should vis visit beforehand. And this ties into my last life hack, which is just to leave your expectations of the continent at your departing city. So if you are planning to travel or repatriate, you know, uh, try to stray away or stay away from the mindset that you're going to Africa to change the continent or you have something that's invaluable. It's true that you could have something that's invaluable, but what would, would make it even more in, invaluable is to partner with Africans on the ground, like-minded, creative individuals who could help your efforts, move your efforts along further than what you can imagine. And then also, you know, just leaving 
preconceived notions or, you know, oh, Africa is going to be this way and that way. If you just go and say, I'm going to experience Africa and whatever comes at me, I'm going to approach it with an open mindset and an open heart, you would leave with the best experience. So I would say those three and make sure you have a plan or use a travel group as a liaison to leave preconceived notions um, after departing and take it off the bucket list. Those are wonderful life hacks. Life hacks from an experienced traveler. And on this show, we call our listeners travelers. So travelers, you heard it directly from my co-pilot today, Tiffany. And she's maneuvered this flight so flawlessly through every turbulence, through every issue, um, even the wonderful views we've had. And we don't want to just leave it there, Tiffany. So please tell our travelers where they can connect with you. How can they connect with Away to Africa? Because you have the answer right there for them. Tell us how we can connect with you. Everything is, all of our social media is a way to Africa, which is A-W-A-Y-T-O, Africa. Um, Instagram, we're on Instagram, Facebook, we're on Twitter. Starting from next week, we're going to have weekly clubhouse meetings, but we're just mm. going to virtually travel to different countries, one country for every two weeks. So, um, yeah, I, all media p- platforms, we are on a way to Africa. What did I say? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and then soon Clubhouse starting next week. And then our website is awaytoafrica.com. And within the beginning of March, we're launching a new website. So we have a couple new experiences, but we're just preparing for those who are going to start traveling again, you know, summertime and the end of this year. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining us on this flight and in this show. Guys, my people, stand up, fist in the air, and just shout it out loud, away to Africa. This is this has been your captain, Robert Agufana-Bell. Um, this, uh, we're coming to the end of our episode recording of Coming Black to Africa. And Tiffany, I want to give you the final word and ask you to complete this statement. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right, Tiffany Anderson, Africa is... The present. Africa is the past, the present, and the future. Africa is the past, the present, and the future. There you have it, travelers. We are ready to welcome you Black to Africa. And this has been the Comment Black to Africa show. Please remember to subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends so that other people can learn and get ready to come back to Africa. Until the next flight, see you again in the future.